What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. In 2022, there were only 15 days when police did not kill someone in the United States, according to a Washington Post database. Also, according to the Washington Post, this year, law enforcement has murdered 606 people. That's an increase of 34 folks since our last roundup. And we don't even know most of their names. There were no marches, rallies, rebellions, or hashtags for them. Most of their families grieved in silence and solitude. We must understand that police murders are just the tip of an egregious iceberg of transgressions against our people. Law enforcement serves as a militarized occupying army in our communities and neighborhoods. They racially profile, sexually assault, and wrongfully incarcerate our folks. If we don't know what's happening, then we can't fight back. We can't adequately organize a response. So every week on Law and Disorder, we kick off our Thursdays with a roundup of news related to state violence. We hope this segment serves to expose, agitate, and build. This is the State Terror Roundup for the week of August 14th, 2023. No other demographic of children has as much or as detrimental engagement with law enforcement than black children. From police in their schools, followed around in stores, hassled for playing in parks, police stalk and adultify black children, often leading to unwarranted and unnecessary incarceration, violence, and in the worst cases, their deaths. This impacts their mental and emotional health and normalizes their criminalization. This was the case in Lansing, Michigan last week when police handcuffed a black 12-year-old boy who was taking out the trash. Police say this 12-year-old boy, a child, not even a teenager, matched the description of a suspect, their words, not mine, of vehicular theft. To be clear, the quote-unquote suspect they were looking for was a grown man, not a seventh grader. The parents of the preteen are looking to hold the police department accountable, and his mother says that the incident was so traumatizing that the child doesn't even want to go outside to check the mail. We should all be breathing a sigh of relief that this baby is still here and did not meet the same fate as 14-year-old Tamir Rice or 16-year-old Micaiah Bryant. Source, CNN and WKAR. Once again, police have responded to violence with violence, and someone is dead. On August 5th, police in Denver responded to a domestic violence call. That's when Brandon Cole reached into his vehicle and then started making his way towards police, or at least they say started making his way towards them. Within seconds, he was shot. The cops say they thought he was holding a knife. You know, their amazing split-second decision-making. Turns out, Brandon Cole had a marker in his hand. A black marker. And last I checked, markers aren't weapons, but I guess the cops were scared he was going to scribble them to death. Upon arrival, Brandon's wife, the alleged victim, told the cops, don't, don't pull your gun out on my husband, please, end quote. Cole's wife and teenage son were standing behind their loved one when he was killed. Police, of course, are justifying their bad behavior, but Seth Stroughton, a professor at the University of Carolina School of Law and a former police officer who does agree with the cops that it was reasonable for them to believe Cole had a knife. I disagree, but, you know, I'm not an expert. But Seth says officials needed to look at the positioning of the bystanders, the wife and kid, and whether they were put in danger by the shots fired. Bullets don't have names. Of course they were. Seth says, quote, sometimes the appropriate thing to do is get injured or even killed to prevent an injury or death of an innocent bystander, end quote. I would argue that Brandon Cole was an innocent bystander. The name of the officer who shot Cole has not been released. Of course, she's been with the department since 2009, is now on paid vacation. Cole's wife told reporters, quote, that man was a good man. He didn't deserve to be killed. They didn't have to kill him, end quote. No, ma'am, they did not. Source, AP News. 
And in more news about why cops shouldn't be first responders to DV calls, someone else is dead because they were. The Leavenworth Police Department said a 25-year-old man who was hospitalized following an officer-involved shooting on Thursday has died. The shooting took place on Thursday, August 10th after a vehicle pursuit involving members of the Leavenworth, Kansas Police Department and a domestic violence suspect. Again, their word, not mine, ended. He was 25 years old and his name is Jonathan Heath Taylor. No officers were injured at the scene. Why do they always put that in the story? Why is that even important? Of course they weren't. They rarely are. And that's because most of the people they kill pose no threat whatsoever to their lives. It was a chase, which means he was fleeing, which means the cops weren't in danger, which means they could have waited, let him cool off and tried again later, which means he should still be alive. Source, KCTV5. The Lancaster County District Attorney has cleared two officers in the shooting death, excuse me, in the murder of a 17-year-old burglary suspect. Lancaster police responded to the call for burglary in progress at a home. There was a teenager at the home who lived there. After going through the breezeway into the backyard, police noticed the 14-year-old resident of the home on the roof. On the roof, not in the home, with the burglary suspect. So, not in any immediate danger. Just moments later, video shows Darren Shaw, the burglary suspect, springing out of the door, pointing a gun with an extended magazine at officers. The cops say, when you are under stress or under pressure, you do what you do in training. So if you train well, you perform well. That cop is Lancaster County Chief County Detective Kent Switzer. One, did he just call taking the life of a seven-year-old child performing well? Two, he's right. That is how cops are trained. They are not trained to shoot in the leg or the arm. They are not trained to de-escalate. They are not trained to talk people down. They are trained to take out the suspect by shooting center mass as quickly as possible. In all, police officers fired nine shots, hitting Shaw four or five times after being struck. Darren ran 100 feet before collapsing and eventually dying. With a teenager dead, District Attorney Heather Adams is pleading with the public to push for change. Not change in police force, mind you. Change in how much and how often we prosecute and persecute children. She says, quote, we have seen an uptick in juvenile crime, specifically juvenile crimes involving guns. Law enforcement needs help, end quote. Hey, Heather. Our children need help. They need mental and emotional support. They need quality education and living wage jobs. They need to live in a society that cherishes rather than criminalizes them. They need roofs over their head and food in their bellies. How about that kind of help, Heather? Source, Local 21 News. A Detroit police commissioner says the Detroit PD is corrupt and has asked the feds to step in and investigate. All right, I don't think anyone is surprised that the Detroit Police Department is a cesspool, but folks should take a look at Oakland and its 21 years of federal receivership while they continue to behave badly and perform poorly, costing Oakland taxpayers millions of dollars a year before summoning the feds to their city. The commissioner, Ricardo Moore, alleges a, quote, nexus of police corruption, end quote, saying the board hasn't gotten data from the Detroit Police Department and that the city's charter has been violated with regards to facial recognition technology. Among the specifics of his allegations, Moore cited the recent case of a pregnant woman getting frisked and cuffed before being taken into custody for carjacking. A crime, it turns out, she had nothing to do with. While some suspected she was misidentified by facial recognition, DPD Chief James White flatly denied that assertion earlier this week, saying it was human error. Well, that makes it better. 
The chief also said the department had agreed to give board more data on its facial recognition work. Facial recognition technology sucks, y'all. It makes mistakes all of the time. The Detroit Police Department released a lengthy statement rebuking the allegations of corruption that ended with, quote, As a department, we remain committed to professionalism and transparency. We look forward to continuing our work with the board to address both its concerns and the concerns of the community. End quote. I laugh. Source, Fox 2 Detroit. And as if we needed any more reason to stop sending police to respond to mental health crisis, Philadelphia police have murdered a 27-year-old immigrant man who spoke little English for holding a knife. And there are questions now about whether or not he was even holding the knife and the moments prior to the shooting. Police first said Eddie Azari, the man they've murdered, was driving erratically, and when they pulled him over, he got out of his car with a knife and lunged at police before one officer shot him multiple times, killing him on sight. But then the police said that Azari was seated in his car when they shot him and never lunged at the officers with a weapon. Oh, really now? Officers say they found a folding knife and kitchen knife on the seat of the car. Eddie Azari Sr. asked, why would you shoot when there is no gun? Very good question, Eddie Sr., and we are so sorry for your loss. Surprising to no one, Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw declined to say whether Azari Jr. was holding the knife or had threatened police with it. She also declined to share the length of the interaction or to say whether the officer ordered Azari to drop the weapon before firing. She said Azari was shot several times, but declined to specify the number of shots fired or how many times he was struck. Her looks like Daniel Outlaw said absolutely nothing. What is also unclear is whether the officers turned their emergency lights or sirens on before getting out of the cruiser. So did Eddie even know they were cops? She said by the time backup arrived a few minutes later, the lights were not on. Azari Jr.'s aunt said her nephew was shot six times. She said he'd been known to carry a pocket knife, but she doesn't understand how or why he would try to use it on police. Azari had struggled with meth- mental health issues, including schizophrenia, she said, but he was no harm. He had moved to Philadelphia from Puerto Rico about seven years ago, but did not speak or understand English. Quote, if the officer was saying anything to him in English, I'm quite sure that he didn't even understand what was going on. End quote. Source, Ellie Rushing, The Philadelphia Inquirer. The United States may be looking to give whistleblower Julian Assange a plea deal that would allow him to return to Australia, ending what is now a four-year detention in Britain. Assange has been held in a London prison since 2019 while combating U.S. extradition efforts. He faces 18 criminal charges in the United States, 17 of which allege violations of the Espionage Act. The United States' seeming change in position comes weeks after U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken rebuffed Australia's cause to end the prosecution against Assange. The U.S. says that Assange was, quote, charged with very serious criminal conduct, end quote, for his role in publishing classified American government materials. Let's be clear here. The files Assange shared in 2010 included footage of a U.S. airstrike in Baghdad that killed 18 civilians, including journalists and hundreds of thousands of field reports from the Iraq War. Event the U.S. wanted to hide events we had a right to know about. Dan Rothwell, an international law expert at Australian National University, told the Morning Herald that he believes a likely outcome would involve American authorities downgrading the charges against Assange in exchange for a guilty plea while taking into account the four years he has already spent in prison. Assange's case has raised major press freedom concerns around the globe. Quote, the United States is applying extraterritorial reach by charging Assange, who is not a U.S. citizen and did not commit alleged crimes in the U.S. under its Espionage Act. End quote. A group of former Australian attorneys 
General wrote to Prime Minister Anthony Albanese last week, quote, we believe that this sets a very dangerous precedent and has the potential to put at risk anyone anywhere in the world who publishes information that the U.S. unilaterally deems to be classified for <laughs> security reasons, end quote. I couldn't agree more. Source, Prem Thacker, The Intercept. This has been the State Terror Roundup for the week of August 14, 2023. State Terror Roundup soundtrack provided by Coffee Brown, an Oakland musician, singer, and songwriter who has been a force in the Bay Area's hip-hop and soul scene since the early 1990s. You can check her out at kofybrown.com, and her website and socials are linked from our site at kpfa.org. Shout out to producer Jesse Strauss for helping curate the content for this segment. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.